Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, the Scott Harbath Podcast. What's new today, Mike? It's full black and it's full summer break. And uh, the two things go together oh so well. So I'm I'm glad to be back here on the podcast. Feels like it's been a while, does it not? Yeah, what we we did uh, Chris Howdy's last one the last time we talked. Took a couple weeks off and now we're back. We're we're, we're about to hit the we're going to hit a busy stretch here in a minute. Yeah, before we start a recording, I meant to ask you about our upcoming schedule, so maybe offline we'll talk and then hopefully this week post our remaining 2023 reading and podcast schedule and we've got a lot of books, a lot of new releases coming, so Yes, yes. Let's finalize that list tonight so we can uh, let the people know what's coming the uh, next six months or so. I agree. Before we get into today's book, we forgot to do in the last time we were on this feed, the Scott Harvad podcast, we forgot to do a little patron giveaway. That's right. What, what do we have to give away, Mike? Man, we love our patrons and we have some autographed books and unfortunately, people, I'm keeping my copy of Full Black. I love this book. So I have one signed copy of Full Black. Not going to give that away. But let's go back to last month. I've got the Athena Project. I love that one too, but I'm willing to part with it. So we're going to spin that wheel for our patrons. And if you don't know about our Patreon, you can hit thrillerpod.com, click the Patreon tab, learn how you can help support the podcast, all for less than the price of a novel a month. You can be the reason that we can make more podcasts. So head to thrillerpod.com to check that out. But let me spin that wheel and see who the lucky winner of a Brad Thor signed copy of the Athena Project goes to. Dawn, we love Dawn. Dawn wins another one. Congrats to you, Dawn. Dawn and Sherry are the OGs. <laughs> we, we love them. Yes. I know. Speaking of OGs, we got to get a uh, a group uh, a group Patreon account. Uh, we we have some juicy gossip to talk about, especially the the last Brad Thor novel, uh, not Brad Thor, the last Jack Carr novel, the last Chris Howdy novel. So, just some things you could uh, be a part of if you join our Patreon. Yeah, we have uh, semi regularly uh, um, group chats, group Zoom hangouts, but we have very regular group chats on the uh, Group Me app. So an actual text thread where we're constantly talking about what we're reading and what we think of these books, dropping bombshells on there, you know, uncovering some dirt in the thriller verse. So uh, it's a spicy chat and uh, we'd love to have you on there. If you're a patron, we'll, we'll send you that invite. But Chris, today is about Scott Harvath. And I got to ask you, what did you think of this book? Because I have something big I'm about to say, but I, I want to get your, your just quick, you know, 30,000 foot view of this book. You know, I, I really enjoy it. You know, it's it's probably not my favorite, but it's it's a pretty good one. I don't know. There, there there's some nitpicky things that I, that I found annoying, but I, I'm guessing from your face that this one ranks very high for you. I think over the course of this discussion, we're gonna see if this is my favorite Brad Thor book yet. Wow. Okay. All right. We we knew this one was coming, and. You know, I, I feel like this is one of those ones where when you know, for me at least, when I know the plot, I get like less excited mm. on reread. But I remember reading this the first time and I was like, 
I was full, fully gripped. So, you know, maybe I, I, once we talk it through, I'm sure my score is going to go up, 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 and I'll be right there with you. Yeah, I think I'm a prisoner of the moment, though, because obviously you can't beat Lions. I, I really can't see it taking down Lions in the end. Even Lions with its flaws, it's just a classic. Then we loved books like Takedown. Right, um, Takedown, big one. Yeah, that, I, The Apostle, maybe? We like The Apostle. We We even, like... We didn't mind foreign influence, right? The like the the two book arc that this one is completing, right? Yeah, that's true. And and I think what I like so much about this one was that we were going back to the cliffhanger at foreign influence. Yeah. Really felt like it was Brad Thor's wheelhouse. This was like classic Brad. So combine that, we had a two book arc with a cliffhanger that we were just chomping at the bit to get back to. And that involves Robert Ashford, which I'm so glad to see. He's a main player here. But it's also quintessential Brad. I think it's kicking off what we consider like the core of Brad Thor, which is the Carlton group. We got Reed Carlton and the troll in full swing, like full action. When they come in, and I got to be honest, the first maybe third of the book was very light on Scott, the old man, and the troll. But when they come in, that's when this book gets spicy. And we're talking usually like a race to the finish, which is the last few chapters or maybe 50 pages. I feel like this book is a race to the finish at the halfway point. Like the whole second half is just a sprint. No, and it almost has that, you you know, like most, a lot, a lot of thriller novels, they, they threaten or even like movie theater, movie, movies, TV shows, they'll threaten like the attack. Not that I want to see an attack, but, you know the the good guy always ends up like winning in the end, and, and in this case, you know Brad Scott wins in the end. But there's there's stakes, you know. Yes, and I I like my stuff to have stakes. I like you know like I've just recently I've started watching Secret Invasion, and like that show is like there's no stakes to it. You know they they mm-hmm. they they wouldn't kill off secretly say that Tony Stark was a scroll. Anyways, I'm, I'm going off into my Disney tangent, but you know, for things to have stake, it gives them a little more weight, gives a little more oomph. It makes you feel more connected and I don't know, brings the story to life a little bit more. So this one to me, the plot has stakes. We see those stakes unfold on the, on the page. And like, like you said, you know, pretty much once we get Scott out of Sweden, um yes you know the botched like upsala like infiltration it's we're we're game on in terms of the plot you know scott going here going there you know teaming up with the carlton group going going forward and i love that stuff so dude you nailed it that op was really drawn out in the beginning and ends up being really kind of cool how it plays out it almost almost felt a little flinian at times Especially the it, this undercover book, this stuff. Book has, this book has like a, I, I, I didn't want to say it, but now you said it like I'm going to say it. It feels like a Vince Lynn novel to, yeah. to in a sense. I like think that the beginning is very long, you know, one op that's drawn out, intercut with like other exactly. things the that villains. are happening at, at the same time. Right. And then once we finish that up, we're, we hit that turning point where we're going to race to the climax and and figure out like what's going on you know it reminds yes. me of like consent to kill is like this yes. right? as soon as anna dies boom we're on a race to like figure out figure that out yep and the villains Even, though the villains are right, very flinian exactly. too like what's yes. what's his name uh hank uh hank clark 
talking with uh, Congressman Rudin, I feel like Ashford and Standing are like that. Yeah, they yeah. almost rise to that level. Not quite, right? I wouldn't say that at all. But it had, you know, it, it like poetry. It rhymed with Vince Flynn so well. And unfortunately, maybe another reason I like this is that there's a quintessential Thorism that is not present. This sci-fi or fantasy or even historical <laughs> bizarre fiction. like Yeah, no, that was, that was not here at all really it, there was almost none of it and while i liked it in athena project we we just came off talking about that some of the crazy quantum transportation teletransportation stuff all right it was cool and you were okay in that fantasy world and in the past you know we've ridiculed the thomas jefferson and the hidden clocks barbary coast pirates and you know i like the history hannibal but, hannibal right the storyline of the the muslim killer but I really liked here how it's a shift from that to geopolitics. You know, whether it's the Chinese running uh, Site 243 or whatever it was, planning this, uh, what they call it, unrestricted warfare against us. Right. And the Chinese are secretly fueling an extremist movement as a plan to bring down America. But we're doing it to ourselves because it's a billionaire and one of our best friends in terms of intelligence sharing, the British who has a mole doing this. I felt like that was a much more gripping way to involve real world connections than trying to do a historical tidbit that could be really cool, but could also end up flat on its face. And it's happened both ways. Brad's pulled that off fantastically and been wonderful. Then there's been some that didn't work as well. And I feel like this book, you know, is ripping up that script and instead playing Brad Thor's geopolitical game, which we know is going to be a through, you know, a, a through line for the rest of his books. That that now I would say is what defines him the most. Look at Black Ice, look at Rising Tiger. He's leaned into that so hard, and it's become basically the last decade of what he's been doing so well. And maybe that took some. Maybe it was growing pains, right, to get away from that fantasy, historical fantasy kind of bent and get to the, something like this. Yeah, because I'm just thinking now we've we've read three, three and a half books that had, you know, what do you, whatever you want to call it, National Treasure, Dan Brown-esque style story writing to it. And, you know, bes besides Athena Project, I think the three others were, are not, they're either in the bottom or like, you know, the bottom, the bottom mid, you know, level. The ones that, that rise to the top are the ones that stick to this formula, you know. I'm thinking State of the Union, take down. They're grounded. Yeah, you know, lions, like yes. you said, um, black ice, stuff like that. So, yeah, I, and I, I think that he he does geopolitics so well. But you know, you can't you can't blame a, a writer for wanting to branch out, try new things. I gotta get gotta give him that kind of credit. You know, some of the least my least favorite Vince Lynn novels were. I, it was just a boring spy novel, you know, like, you know, at least you get like some jazz it up, you know, or yeah. driving through the countryside in Iowa in a camper forever. What book was that? <laughs> Pursuit of Honor. Yeah, that was that one. Ouch. Uh, what, what, what was the one we, we really didn't like? Oh, when he goes to the Philippines. Yeah, oh, and he gets like shot in the butt and Anna's just being like so annoying. Yeah. Um, executive power, maybe. But that was also a change, right? So the way the Uppsala uh, operation takes up the first half of this book, and then there's a that's clear how the Philippines cut. is. 
That's yeah. how the Philippines is in the Vince Flynn book when he's in the jungle. But then something changes and you get, you know, Mitch back in the States or you, you get Scott back, you know, going to the Carlton Group headquarters. Once you do that and you bring the troll in with his intel gathering side of things, the book just blows up and it and it just runs. All right. Well, I'm glad you gave me that that overview, but I think we should dig right in. We should get into some of the scene by scene. However, a way to summarize everything we've been saying is that it's a perfect time for a double limerick. Double limerick. Okay. It's been a while for a double, and, and I like this book. I had a lot to say. So here we go. There once was a jackass named Standing. <laughs> His plan with Rob Ashford not landing. Chase undercover is key. Luke Ralston, what a G. Read Carlton's presence so commanding. Back with Scott, the old man, and the troll. Damn right, ready to rock and roll. Going full black, the heat, it is packed. The Shakes Network, they will unroll. Mm. I absolutely loved how last book we were strung along that there's some big bad mastermind. And then boom, this book opens and we get a hint of maybe there's something fishy going on. I didn't even catch it. But in the very beginning, Standing is sending emails as the shake and he's the one pulling the strings. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it, it the, the opening of this book is, is great. I think, um, you know, jumping, like we said, jumping back and forth between these three plot lines. So we kind of have touched on the upsaw a little bit. We're going to get more into that. We'll, we'll touch on James standing who you, th- who you think both of me and you think he is. Do you want to start with like my least favorite? Storyline. Storyline. The 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 LA plot. Not that it's like awful. It's just like out of the three, if I had to pick the the least my least favorite one, that that would be it. I, I think pieces of it I would agree with you. So I, yeah, I'm good to get it out of the way. I, I do have to say I think it satisfactorily combines with what Scott and team are doing. Yeah, no, and actually it, it ties everything together pretty well. And I was wondering, you know, how you obviously know somehow these are going to connect mm-hmm. and you don't know if it's going to be like, what was that one book where it was a couple of books ago where you, you have the police officer and like the, the police officer never actually like even talks to Scott. Um, she discovers that the president and like gets him to resign. And that's like the, the, the president Scott finds out the president resigns. What, you know, that's the through line there. Is it going to be something like that where Scott never has an interaction with them or, Something like this, where I didn't even think as soon as they mentioned that the guy that that they end up going to was an ex seal that oh maybe Scott knows him and that that was good. But I I thought like this whole thing paid off and it yes. wasn't too cheesy, it wasn't yes. too coincidental. I mean, a story's got to get resolved somehow, and this mm-hmm. is one of the least you know cop out kind of ways. Yes, and, and I'll I'll agree that's the part that worked because that friend is Hank McBride. And it totally makes sense that Luke Ralston, a Delta guy who's consulting on Hollywood, you know, would know and have in his network. And it's actually the safe house where they go to hide out is Hank McBride. Who has have we met old, Hank McBride before? I was trying to figure out if we met him. The name sounds so familiar. It sounds so familiar. And then when he calls Scott, it made perfect sense because Scott's like he was an uncle to me. He knew my dad and the teams and they were buddies. I grew up around this guy. 
So it, it felt so natural that we I, we must have had him before. I think I'll plan on going back and Googling his name and, and seeing which books he comes up in. Okay. We had to because it worked so perfectly, but I didn't know. So it felt natural when he called Scott. So it didn't feel cheap that these two plots would overlap. And I love the payoff there. However, and, and he actually has all the evidence to take down Ashford. And, and how cool was that phone call, dude, when he's like, I think there's a mole in MI5. And Scott's right. like, I'm too busy for this. Like, they're trying to blow up airports. I'm in LAX. Like, you see what's on the news. Or the movie theaters, I think, just exploded. And he's like, right, 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 right. Dude, this is too no, much. The, it, he, was, he, he had just gotten the, the leader from LAX. Yeah, and they just captured him. Right, right, right. He got him in that, like, parking garage. And so he's like, I don't have time for this. But the guy's like, well, let me just tell you the name of who I think the mole is. And you can look into it later. It's Robert Ashford. And Scott just pauses. What? <laughs> he was just working with him last book. And Reed Carlton and him, last book, we were fully bought into their friendship. I mean, the nickname Peaches and everything. Right, right, Like right. that. That was just last book. And we ended that book with a huge cliffhanger where Ashford shoots the RPG. So Scott and the old man and the Americans don't get Aziz Alim. You know, the the head terrorist. Right. right, right. Because he would talk and and Ashford knows they'd get him singing. So they blow up the car he's in. I'm assuming Chase was injured in that, but Chase is back back in play here. So anyway, I just love how it came together. I think you're right though, the weakest part of that storyline is the part about his girlfriend. Luke Ralston's uh girlfriend, druggy, the dad is connected to the Russian mob somehow. That that was where it like lost me. I didn't yeah. mind the fact that it was, you know, he they put him in Hollywood. He's a obviously it makes sense. He would use his degree or use his expertise to you know be, that's fully plausible. The fact that I think it was cool that the whole takedown, you know, him taking out the Spetsnaz soldiers. Yes. Uh, also, I want to ask you this. Okay, this drives me a little a little a little crazy. Spetsnaz. Do normal people know Spetsnaz? <laughs> I would say so. I definitely. Yeah, think you think so? so? Well, so you, you, I, I shouldn't ask you because you you read these books and like so obviously these books talk about them. I think if I haven't watched as many books and movies though, maybe you're right that I wouldn't. Because sometimes they throw, and it's not just Brad. It's like we just were reading um, Haley uh, Chill. Like they they were talking about uh, Spetsnaz there, and like they were just every single you know. My grandma was throwing around the word Spetsnaz, and I was like, "They, they I, okay, sure." But, <laughs> but no, but he called himself on it because he put in that one line where they meet with the the Russian dude. Was it Yatsko or something? And he even oh, says, he, "The guy was like, do you think everyone that looks like Russian is a Spetsnaz?'" Yeah, yeah, I like that. He's like, "You Americans, you all just say it's Spetsnaz whenever it's a Russian, you know, killer or assassin." You have he even says like, "You guys get so high on that." And then Ralston is like, "I served with them. Like I actually have time in the field with Spetsnaz guys." So, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was him. Oh, and then the tattoo. Right, he knows that he knows the tat- the blood the blood tattoo. Yeah. Exactly. Their blood type. They get it tattooed. And so that's when the, the Russian dude was like, okay, he's he's for real. He knows what he's talking about. So yeah, I, I hear you, but um, I'm kind of glad Brad called that out because you're right. It could be a trope. 
what did you think of the that scene in terms of you know the the car and you know being in this like almost fake panic room like i was like oh he's in a panic room but the, yet the guy can get through the drywall yeah and then you know ralston intriguing character i don't think we ever see him again but you know i wouldn't mind having him come back as as a side character i think he was great i think as that kind of one off side character he was really good and the way he saw the tire tracks outside solomon the movie producer's house he knew to double back he rammed the guy turning his headlights on and off, you know, to screw with his night vision. That was pretty cool. Yeah. I thought that was really well done. He entered the house. He got Solomon out of the safe room. Who? Oh, there's even that one little line about California's gun laws. <laughs> yeah. That's why Ralston was unarmed. But Solomon had taken some as movie props or that was his excuse if ever caught. He would say, oh, I didn't know it was live. I just took it as a movie prop. Yeah, I, I thought that was a really cool scene. And it's not the opening scene, which I think we should get to next, but it is one of the very early action scenes. So, no, I, I liked moving through the house, Solomon in the safe room. He's got the shotgun. I think it proved the bona fides of Ralston as this Hollywood. You almost think of him like what Jack Carr's doing on his own show. He's this like, what would you call it? A, a consultant, consultant, military consultant, right? And, and half stuntman, half consultant. To make sure in Hollywood that they're getting, you know, special operations and, and military tactics correct. I think that's really cool to have a character like that, but who also is right back in the game when called upon. So I think right. Luke was really great. Yes, we can quibble over the family connections to his druggy ex-girlfriend who passed away. Yeah, that 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 whole storyline went on. Yeah. It felt like forever. I know yeah. it was probably only one chapter, but just, I don't know. It so maybe, it maybe call me an asshole, but it just, it, it felt like it dragged. It, it dra I, I, I'll be honest. If I, if that was cleaned up and or eliminated, I, I would say this is nearly, very nearly a perfect, perfect thriller. novel. Yeah. I would say it's, it's up there. What's cool. I did listen to the full version. Then since we pushed this recording back a few days, I actually went back and listened to the abridged audiobook. Oh, wow. Okay. And they cut all of that stuff out. Really? Yeah. I know I'm on record and stand by saying an abridged version of a thriller is a terrible idea. And <laughs> I will vouch for that 90% of the time. But I just think Brad Thor's style, sometimes if you've already read the book, the abridged version sure. is a really nice way to go back to it and, re -read. Yeah, and get yeah. the highlights. Right. Because reading this book, in the abridged version, which was a six-hour audiobook, I put it on triple speed. Was was done in the afternoon doing some some laundry. Nice. I thought it, it was really effective because some of the stuff like that little storyline get almost entirely nixed, and we are just action to action to action. And and I was having a great time. So, all right, cool, cool, cool. cool. Yeah, you you mentioned earlier we, that actually is not the first scene. The first thing we get is you know. We we actually see Scott in the first scene, right? Uh, we don't know it's him until like the very end. It's these two oper a, a man and a woman, you know, doing this operation, taking out a car, killing two people, capturing a prisoner, and then finally we 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 get the reveal that it's Scott Harvath with with Riley Turner. And but I wanted to ask you, sort of as a follow up to you know, in conjunction to this, how do you feel about? I guess you already said it, but how do you feel about the continuation of foreign influence? Like, did you like how that perfect? This is a, a complete follow up. Yeah, it was absolutely perfect, especially because we had the Athena project in between. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm wondering, you know, we were saying the amalgam, this group, which seemed to be behind the action of the Athena project. Yeah, that's what I thought it was going to be. I, I was like, are we coming back to them? And we even said, I think we're going to come back to them. We went back to something like it, right? Something similar, right. But instead, it was the cliffhanger of Foreign Influence, the book before. Right. And I really like that because in Athena Project, Scott, at one point when he shows up, is like, I've got this other stuff going on. You know, he was very clearly like not down to fully do what Athena was doing. He had to move on. He helped with the Bianchi op in Venice, but then he had to go out, you know, on another whatever he was doing. Well, I think that's related to this, you know, getting Chase undercover in the Uppsala op by faking this car crash, pulling out Mansoor. And what's cool is Mansoor Aleem is, what is he, the nephew of Aziz Aleem, the big bad? The nephew, yeah, yeah, of the last book, yeah. And he's more modern, so he was a tech kid that Aziz Aleem, the one that Ashford blew up as the cliffhanger of Foreign Influence, they're going to replace him with Chase. Because not too many people know that Aziz called him in to handle his tech stuff. And very few people in the actual terrorist cell, looks like, yeah. they know what he looks like. Yeah, right. And Chase is half Egyptian. People can't tell if he's Arab or French or whatever. And so he's the perfect guy, right? He's going to fit in. He knows the prayer routines as if he's you know, a Muslim practitioner. He knows the language perfectly. He's just the guy for the job. So if you combine Luke Ralston doing what he's doing in the Solomon L.A. plot line and Chase undercover working with Scott. Then you got Riley. I love the B-level characters here. I love the B-roll. This is a fantastic group of secondary characters. Yeah, no, Sean Chase is a, is a very intriguing character. And, you know, I he's obviously not still around, but I, I hope we see him in the next couple books. But I don't know how... You know, he's CIA, so how much interaction going forward does Scott have with with the agency being being part of the Carlton group? <clears throat> so we'll see. So here's a question for you. We basically have this whole chase scene, and then even when he's embedded in the terrorist network, and he's actually some cool tradecraft, some spy tradecraft I want to talk about while he's undercover. With the blinds? The blinds and everything. That might be one. I didn't even think of this full black i know scott says it later at like maybe the three-quarter part of the book mm -hmm. but i think it can apply to chase as well he's kind of going full black himself he has no communications with anybody yeah i i really think it's cool that you could apply the title in both ways but that does get to a question i want to ask did you feel early on in the book that this isn't even a scott harvath book i mean whether it's Luke Ralston doing what he's doing or Chase undercover were with him so early on. Yes, Scott was in the opening scene. Love the continuation from previous books. And we see him right off the bat. He kind of goes away for a little while. I asked myself like a third to a halfway through this book. Is this even a Scott Harvath book? And the ending, I definitely it, say it is. It is. Right. I, I think it's, you know, and that's another thing that we've seen with Vince is sometimes he puts Mitch away for a little bit to let ev everything else grow and build and then brings him back. And then Mitch is full, full center, you know? So we get like one chapter, but then we get like three without ever seeing Scott again, you know? And that's not normally, it's normally like one to one, you know? Yeah. Or back to back to back. But then like once we, once we make that turn, it's like Scott full, 
full on. You know, we're just we're just with him. So, but yeah, I would I would agree. It's it was it was interesting, and that's why when I'm reading the first half, listening to the first half, I was like, this this book has a different feel in the beginning. Yes, and I I was enjoying that feel because the stories and scenes were pretty cool. But I was wondering, um, Scott, you know, Nicholas, <laughs> where right. are these people? Like, what are they doing? It's also like when we do see Scott, you know, he's like interrogating Mansoor and he's just with Riley and some other people that we don't even you know, appreciate or know. So right. it's not like he's with his normal cast of characters in his normal element. Though, let's talk about that. What he's doing with Riley and Mansoor, who they just picked up uh, in Sweden. With the tasers? Dude. Yeah. All right, you're you're a doctor. Your wife is, uh, you know, a medical practitioner. I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not that kind of doctor. <laughs> do you think you could do it? Do, do you? Did you buy it? Do you think it would work? This is another like coincidence thing that that Scott that Brad like explains away. Remember, like later on, Riley comes to him and's like, "Well, I think it was going to happen, but apparently, you know, he's had this thing, and that's exactly what he needed." And I was just like, you know, we didn't even need that line. You know, it's already ridiculous as fuck that he's, uh, <laughs> pardon my French, that he's using a taser to end an adrenaline shot. It's like some stuff out of, uh, what was that movie, Crank? Where, like, if the guy's, like, heart rate went down, like, the bomb inside of him was going to explode or something like that. So he had to, like, do, like, crazy things, like, take shots of adrenaline and tase himself. Jeez. Yeah, Jason Satham. Interesting movie. Well, that's kind of like, um, uh, what was the power book? Total Power. With the wristwatch that right, right, is tied right. to his heartbeat. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, it it was a cool scene. Like, did I do I believe it? No, but it cool scene. But it didn't take away. Like, I was no, and, no. and Scott starts raging. Like, he does it once. It didn't work. It's like prep him again. Riley's like, I, it's not going to work, guys. Like, prep him again. Boom, double tasers to the chest. Didn't work. And he just goes ham. He just gets like. He, what does he do like eight or nine times with these tasers trying yeah. to defibrillate yeah, yeah, yeah. the guy like he was rage tasing this dude and i i bought it hook line and sinker i was like i don't care if it couldn't work in real life the fact that this is going on is like super cool so i absolutely loved it it's yeah, not going to take away from my buy-in score i'll put it that way all right there you go what do you think about the james standing we have yet to talk really talk about him. Yeah, I I, th- I like the villains here. I think my favorite part about it is he's manipulating Ashford. He kind of bought him, got him bought into his worldview. You know, his idea of the world isn't as smart as us, so we can exercise our power over things to make a better world. You know, it's it's kind it's always the strain of narcissists believing their view is what's best for all of humanity. And therefore they have the right to seize power, to seize money, to seize influence and use it to basically make decisions on society and people's lives. Even if that means mass murdering them, if it's justified in their mind for the right cause, anything goes. So I think, I think I liked him, but my favorite parts were that he was the sheik. He was the one sending messages to the cell leaders and then also, he was just using the playbook written by the Chinese right. that was stolen at a site 243, which 
that was a long time ago. What book was that where we saw it get hit? The opening scene of Foreign Influence. That, that's what I liked about it, how we, we opened Foreign Influence with that, and then we never went back to it. That's right. And then right. we finally don't under, fully understand it until about a third of the way through this book. And I, that, that was pretty cool. That was a long-term plant that I loved. And yeah, super cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a little nugget that then is pretty much the basis of the second half of this novel. Yeah, and I love that the Chinese are behind all this. Like, I think that added another dimension. Even they're behind the, you know, Islamist extremism. Like, that extremism is being manipulated and fueled by a Chinese plan to bring down America, right? It's, right. it's not the radicals wanting to bring down America. How many times has that been done before? But it's someone even manipulating them in order to do a grander master plan. And I thought that was really scary. And by the way, I don't know why it wasn't in the regular audiobook, but the abridged audiobook opened with an interview. Did you hear this between Brad and Armand Schultz? Oh, it's at the very end of the um the full audiobook. It was at the end. Okay. I didn't hear it at yeah, the end yeah. there. For some reason they put it at the front of the abridged one. And it was really cool because Brad says it was a real report, a white paper that he dug up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he wouldn't mention which government uh wrote it, but a powerful government authorized an investigation into how can you bring down the United States realizing you can't beat it in, in the battlefield or on a battlefront. And we needed unrestricted warfare, another means to manipulate our social, economic, political life from within and without this grand master plan. And the fact that Brad read that, and is able to have James Standing be the mastermind, narcissist, crazy person behind it all. Combined with, you add Robert Ashford, he has a mole in MI5, who we're intelligence sharing with. Even outside government channels, he literally is getting the Carlton group duped. Dude duped Reed Carlton. Like, right. that's big. Right. He's a good villain. Yeah. No, it's it's crazy. Rant over. Yeah, no, I think the plot, like you know, like the plot of this of this novel is is rock solid. Yes. Like just coming up with this idea. And I think in that same interview, did you did you catch how he you know, he, he talked to and it's funny that we talked about, you know, doing some Dan Brown stuff. So he obviously is friends with Dan Brown or at least has had conversations with him. Right. And Dan Brown is the kind of person that literally well, super outline. And Brad said he tried to do that and he just found himself, he wasn't thrilled. He wasn't surprised. He wasn't excited. And therefore his novel just fell flat. So therefore the less he outlined, the more surprised he was, which led to, you know, better writing and stuff like that instead of like, you know, knowing exactly what was going to happen. So I feel like in this case, yeah, there's like, a lot of intricacies in terms of you have to nail down the 
the full grand plan of the of the plot, but you can see like how he, which ways he could have went in mm-hmm. different directions, and he's sort of like, all right, I like I'm digging this, I'm gonna go here, I'm digging this, I'm gonna go there. Yeah, no, I I think, and that that's fully encompassing it with you know bringing back to this Chinese plot, bringing in this George Soros, you know, right wing conspiracy theory guy in James Standing. I thought that was really cool. So. I'll agree. And I like that part of the interview. He was saying, like, if your heart is pounding while you're writing the book. Yeah, it's going to be better, right? It's going to be better. And that's going to make the reader even more suspenseful. If you as the writer, you know, your fingers are just going on the keyboard, like what's going to happen next? These characters have agency, can go one way or another. This plot can. What happens if the cop in the movie theater with his family? Really cool cutscene, by the way. Saves the day. What if he saves the day? Right. I I hate to say it, but what if he profiles this North African guy earlier and actually through his training knows the tells of this guy sweating or his nervousness and how he places the backpack? And what if all that training kicked in a split second earlier and he apprehended him before he detonated? Or, my God, the perspective writing, the lady in the airport, we're in the shoes. It's just so thrilling. We're in the shoes of someone in that movie theater. That's an everyman. You know, it's an every family. Two kids dressing up, buying extra popcorn with their piggy bank money. Same with the lady in the airport. We know these attacks just happened and she's in an airport looking around at, you know, certain profiles of people and saying, I wonder if other people think they're terrorists and I'm not going to be that way. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to have a. Oh, she's like. I'm going to smile and they're going to remember my nice smile because all the other Americans and white people give them dirty looks, you know, or apprehensive looks. And it's like, yeah, that's how all of us want to act. You know, we want to make people bright and cheerful, but then they are the terrorists and the bomb goes off like shit. We've all been in these predicaments of like, how do you make that judgment call when you don't want to be wrong? You don't want to be discriminatory. You don't want to have hateful thoughts. But at the same time, you are living in fear, and maybe rightfully so, because I think Scott even says this is almost like 9-11. He, thousands of people died in these series of attacks, and he felt like he did after 9-11. So when we're put into the shoes of these people, it's even more identifiable and, and, and personable. And that's why when the attacks happen, that's – I think that's bold because, you know, Kyle Mills has even talked about this. He wanted in total power to see the attack happen and and see what Mitch, Irene, and the president will do. Well, here, the attacks happen. And that's not always the case. Like you said, they saved the day. I thought it was really cool and really risky to see the attacks happen, not just from Scott's perspective, but also from these random vignettes of families and people in airports and movie theaters. Great idea. And I think it really relates to what a lot of people are going through. Yeah, I was going to piggyback on that. I like the... Being in a third party viewer who we never see again, or, you know, I, I like that perspective, yes. especially, especially, you know, throughout this book. 